From the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, everything you need to know about pastoring a small church. Host Leith Anderson, NAE president, talks with Carl Vaders, pastor of Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. Let's join in. I'm Leith Anderson, president of the NAE, here with Carl Vaders. Carl has been a small church pastor for 30 years or more, and the most recent 25 years in his current church, Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. He is the author of one book, The Grasshopper Myth, Big Churches, Small Churches, and the Small Thinking That Divides Us, and another book, Small Church Essentials, Field-Tested Principles for Leading a Healthy Congregation of Under 250. He also writes about the value and needs of small churches at Pivot, a Christianity Today blog, and he is the founder of NewSmallChurch.com, a blog that encourages, connects, and equips innovative small church pastors. Carl, thanks for joining us today to share all that you know about pastoring a small church. Well, great to be with you, Leith. I sure appreciate the opportunity. So let's uh, start with some definitions. Uh, Small means different things to different people. How do you define a small church? Well, I guess I have to take the lead from the cover of my own book. Uh, <laughs> under 250 is where the line, uh, really what you've got is the 200 barrier, which you can hit anywhere between 150 to 300. Um, and I know if you're pastoring a church of 20 or 40, a church of 200 may be bigger than the biggest church in your town. And so it seems huge. But the reason we draw the line there is because there's such a big shift in the way a church is pastored over the 200 barrier as or under the 200 barrier. And so that's where we draw the line because of the distinction and how they're led. All right, so I'm gonna ask you the question on everybody's mind. Um, how large is your church and has that changed much in the time you've been there? It has changed. Let me give you a short history. I came to a church 25 years ago that had been through five pastors in 10 years. So as you can imagine, they were small and struggling. There were 30 people on a big Sunday. They had almost taken a vote to close the church. Uh, in about the next 15 years or so, we got up to about 150 folks or so. And then shortly after that, we rented um, a larger room in a, local, in a local school. And in 20 months, we actually grew from just under 200 to almost 400 people. And um, things seemed to be going well. And then in less than a year from that, we dropped from 400 down to under 100. And there had been no split and there had been no scandal. Um, in recent years, we're back up to about 150 or so, but that's kind of the roller coaster ride that we've been on. All right. So when you say the number, you're not talking about the total constituency. You're talking about the number of people who show up for weekend service, right? Yeah. Typical attendance on a weekend service. We have, we typically run two Sunday morning services and that's the typical attendance we're talking about. All right. So how much company is there? Uh, how many small churches uh, there's like 350, 400,000 churches in the United States. Um, how many of them are small churches? Well, something around 90% of them are under 200, so that would qualify as small churches. And somewhere around 65% or so are under 100. So there's a whole lot of small out there. Okay, so um, what about people? So are most people in small churches or are most people in a smaller number of larger churches? 
Yeah, that's an interesting distinction between the two because 90% of churches are small, but of course, because they're small, that doesn't mean that 90% of people go to small churches. But the line is somewhere around half and half. If you were to take, you know, all the Christians in the world, you've got about 2 billion people according to the Pew Forum. And if you were to split that billion down the middle with small church people on the left and big church people on the right, the line would probably land around 250, maybe 300 people. It's hard to know exactly where that line is because we typically know where all the big churches are. They're just visible. But we're kind of taking a guess at how many small churches there are, especially you know, in places in, in China or other places where it may be illegal to practice your faith. We're taking some guesses there, but we know that all those churches, of course, are small. But somewhere around half of the Christians in the world attend a smaller congregation. And there's been sort of an explosive growth in house churches, overseas particularly, but increasingly in the United States. And unless somebody has a very large house, I assume that most of those are small churches as well. Yeah, very much so. I, I think it's some, there are a whole bunch of, you know, changes happening uh, demographically as the millennials and now whatever we're going to call the generation after, after the millennials comes along. And some of that is a rejection of what they consider to be uh, institutionalization of the church. Um, I, I think some of that will moderate as they get older, as things tend to do for all of us. But I, I do think that the boom in house churches is going to continue and is going to become stronger. In fact, I would really recommend that uh, denominations start seriously considering having a house church uh, wing where they have somebody who's in charge of house churches. Because right now, most denominations only consider churches within their fellowship to be churches that have a building that meet on a weekend in a neutral third place. Uh, but I think there's going to be a big boom in that that I think we need to lean into rather than shy away from. Actually, if you go with the definition you just gave, you're saying that there are denominations that don't even consider house churches to be real churches. Yeah, I would say so. I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm sure there are some, but I have not worked with any denominations in which they have uh, house churches that they say, this is you know, a church they might consider it a small group and a part of another church. But I think for most denominations, unless... And, and the distinction appears to be that if there's a neutral third place to meet rather than somebody's home, then that kind of qualifies as a church. But as we know from the New Testament, most of the churches in the New Testament were house churches. And uh, there have always been house churches. There will always be house churches. And I think we need to start supporting and resourcing them more than we have. I think it's just going to be good for the health and future of the church to do so. All right. One of the reasons I love what you're doing and love talking to you is because you've become an expert on small churches. It seems like there are a lot of people that are experts on large churches, but you're the man, you're the pastor, you're the expert on small churches. How did you get this job? How did you get into this? Well, first of all, because I pastor one. Uh, <laughs> and uh, secondly, because I tried to grow it real big and failed. Uh, <laughs> So after that little, you know, jump up to 400 and down to 100, I was left with my, my head spinning because, like I said, there was no scandal. There was no split. I tried to figure out what happened. Why did a church that was booming like that uh, all of a sudden collapse? And, you know, I live in Orange County, California, just eight miles south of Disneyland. So it's not like there aren't a lot of people to draw from. I don't have that excuse for the church not getting numerically big. But what happened when I got to that point was I started looking around and asking myself, what does a healthy small church look like? And is it possible that God is calling me to be a leader of a healthy small church rather than 
seeing it growing, you know, constantly growing numerically. And what might that look like? So I started doing the research. I had very, very few places where I found any help at all. Uh, Lyle Schaller's book, um, small, The Small Church is Different, was one of the few sources. And um, Glenn Damon and a couple others wrote a little, little bit, uh, a book or two here or there. But I got frustrated in not finding some of the practical help that I wanted. So as I started putting it together, I started writing about it and putting it out there. And it just resonated with so many other small church pastors who said, I've been looking for this too, and I'm so grateful for what you found. So it's just become a real passion of mine to find as much help as I can for fellow small church pastors and put it out there in the best possible way that I can. You've already touched on what this means to a pastor, and um, I'll confess some of my own experience here that what the attendance is on Sunday or at Easter or the average for the year can sort of make or break how you feel about yourself and how you define your success or failure as a pastor. So some pastors are thinking, you know, if I'm if I'm doing my job, if I'm reaching people for the gospel, then the church is going to get bigger. Or if I'm a good pastor, my church will grow. I, I think you're saying that's not the best way to think about growth, right? Yeah, I think numbers have to be a part of the way we look at things because numbers can give us some objectivity. We can fool ourselves into thinking we're either doing better or worse than we are, and then the numbers can bring us back to reality. But the smaller the church is, the less helpful numbers are. It's kind of like, you know, what, how do you, what kind of numbers do you have to say this is a healthy family, for instance? Um, in a company, numbers will give you health. But in a family, numbers are far less valuable. And the smaller a church gets, the less valuable numbers are. So we need to start looking at other ways that are non-numerical to figure out whether or not a church is healthy. And one of the things that I recommend to small church pastors is start a healthy church log. And every time something happens that you'd say, hey, this is a sign of a healthy church, write it down because you'll forget it quickly when the numbers stay low and you'll get discouraged again. But let's say, for instance, a small church pastor spends hours over several months with a couple that is on the verge of divorce and the Lord uses the pastor to help that couple not get divorced and stay as a family. Well, you can't put that on a stat sheet. And quite frankly, you might not even be able to have it as a Sunday testimony because it'll freak their kids out. So it's those kind of quiet successes and good things that happen for the community, for people, and for kingdom work that we need to keep a record of because there are no numbers attached to successes that are like that. That is so helpful. That is really a really good, really practical. Maybe there's just something wrong with all of us, but you know, we, we tend to equate health with numbers. And just to switch the metaphor here, you know, we kind of assume if somebody has a lot of money or a lot of fame, they must be really happy people, except we know story after story of individuals and families that are a disaster in the midst of wealth, and then really strong individuals and healthy families that don't have, well, sometimes they, they have very little. So why is it so common for people to think that the size of the church tells you how healthy the church is? I'm going to assume here that there are large churches that aren't healthy and small churches that are. Yeah, that, that is a fair assumption, and it's a great question. I, 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 I think it's a really recent phenomenon that the church, particularly that the American church, has attached success to numbers so strongly. Um, if you think back back to when I was a kid, I'm, I'm in my late 50s now, and my dad was a pastor. When I was a, a kid, 
it was not unusual to go to a large, well-churched American city, and the biggest church in town might be 500, 750. It was really rare to find a church of 1,000 people, even in a big city that was really heavily churched. So the average church was, say, 75. The biggest church in town might be 750. So the biggest church in town maybe just had a bigger choir and a few more staff members. It was just 10 times bigger, and there weren't that many differences. But today, with the advent of mega churches, which are not a bad thing, I love the fact that we're getting bigger churches as well as healthier churches. That's all, all great. But when now the biggest church in town might be 30,000 people. So if you're an average-sized church, that's not just 10 times. That's 100, potentially 1,000 times bigger than your church if your church is, say, 35 people. And because you've got these massive numbers in mega churches, the principles that they have to operate under are significantly different. You've got to learn new things. You've got to put departments together in a different way. Parking becomes a big issue. And now we learn from those megachurch pastors these really brand new principles because these big numbers are brand new numbers. And now the Church of 500 is learning from the megachurch these brand new principles. So the divide between the big and the small becomes greater. And now the idea of the massive megachurch being the picture of success kind of gets lodged into our brains simply because of size. And again, there's nothing wrong with churches being that big, but it does change our perception of what success looks like. All right. That begs the question then, how should a small church define success, if not by numbers? <laughs> yeah, that is, that is the question. And it's the critical one. For me, there are three principal factors and they're not mysterious newfangled ideas I came up with. All three of them are found very plainly in scripture. The first one is the great commandment. How well are we loving the Lord our God and how well are we loving our neighbor as ourselves? And then secondly, the Great Commission. Are we reaching out beyond our walls to share the faith with others who do not know Christ? And then the third one is what I call the pastoral prime mandate. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 says that the pastor, along with four other ministry gifts, our primary job is not to do the ministry for people, but our primary job, our calling from Christ himself, is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. So if a church is doing the great commandment, loving God and loving each other, if a church is sharing their faith with others, and if the people in the church are being matured and being equipped and being discipled and beginning to take even the burden of leadership, then that becomes a healthy church. Because a, a pastor of a church of 30 who is being a chaplain to 30 people, and chaplain is a great ministry, but it's not the same as pastoring. If a pastor is trying to be a chaplain to even 30 people, that's above our limit. It's like having 30 kids. You know, imagine trying to be a single parent with a, with a family of 30 kids. You're going to be stretched beyond your limit. But that's what too many pastors try to do. We try to do the work of ministry for everybody rather than doing what the scripture says the work of the pastor is, which is to equip the saints. Then you can end up having a church of 30 that might have 20 people who are discipled and mature and are doing the work of ministry. And that, that is a sign of great health no matter what size your church is. Thank you for choosing Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. I memorized that at the beginning of pastoral ministry, and that was a gift from God. All right, so what are some common challenges that I don't want to say are unique, but at least particularly related to pastoring a small church? I think the first one is discouragement. Um, it's very easy to feel less than. It's easy, very easy to feel like you're not having impact when so many of your peers are talking about numbers and when you look around on a Sunday and 
you often start a Sunday morning service with more people on the platform than in the seats. Uh, that can be very discouraging. I think another one is finances. It's just really hard to pull the money together. Most small church pastors out there are not being paid a full-time salary. They're bivocational. And then that leads to one of the, the, the third and maybe biggest challenge is time. Uh, trying to be, say, a two or three point pastor, perhaps in, in some denominations where they're in charge of two or three churches, or even if you're just overseeing one church, but you're having to work 40 or more hours a week in a secular job just to pay the bills. And then, you know, there's a lot of pastors that do the Saturday night scramble for the Sunday morning sermon. And it's not because they're unwise or bad planners. It's because they've been working 40 hours a week at a secular job and spent a couple nights of the week doing Bible studies and maybe small groups. And then Saturday night that they get called to a bedside or to a rehab for one of the church members or a family member of a church member. And so it's really kind of hard to get out of that place where you feel like you're just spinning your wheels and getting it done last minute. So that's probably the biggest challenge for small church pastors. The discouragement, the finances, and the time are really difficult burdens to get around. So how common is it for pastors to be bivocational? And is that, is that more numerous in uh, minority churches? Yeah, it really is. I don't have the exact stats on that, but there are a large number. I mean, I think if you look at almost any church under 100, unless you are in a denomination that pays the pastor to go to that church, almost all of them are going to be bivocational because it's very, very difficult for 100 people or fewer to pay a full-time pastor, especially if the church has a mortgage or any other debt. Uh, But bivocationality is not the exception to the rule. It's much more the rule than we realize, I think. Yeah, it seems to me there was an apostle named Paul that was bivocational. It's, you know, yeah, it we, seems to me, we, too. We, we started out that way, so maybe we're coming full circle. All right, let, let's focus in on one of the topics that you just mentioned, and that is uh, finances. It's a special interest to us at National Association of Evangelicals. We, we have had this project, which is called NAE Financial Health, and it seeks to address financial challenges of pastors and churches. So we did a bunch of research, and initially it was 4,000 pastors. We found that 80% of them served in congregations with fewer than 200 people. Uh, 55% have fewer than 100 people in their church. And half of these pastors serve in churches with annual budgets of under 125000 Of course, that's got to cover a building if they have one and program and payroll and everything. 50% of pastors that we surveyed, these 4,000, receive less than $50,000 per year in compensation. Uh, 30% of them have student loans uh, averaging $36,000. So actually the the total of their student loan could be as much as their their annual salary or maybe even more. All of this is to say that uh, finances can be a really big deal for all pastors, but especially in small churches. So talk some more uh, on your thoughts, your advice to pastors in, in small churches, and especially those who are struggling financially and they just don't know what to do. What? Yeah, it's first of all, I I feel your pain. I have been there for many years as well, you know, doing extra work just to try to pay the bills. So uh, any help or answers that I try to give are not not without my understanding of that particular pain. Um, But the biggest advice I have is the third piece of the healthy church. We have to do a better job at equipping the saints. Um, If we're going to try to do all the work of ministry, 
um, then we're not going to be able to, to pull this off. If we're going to have to pay for everything that, that gets done in ministry, then churches are going to continue to uh, be in trouble rather than to thrive. But if we do the job of equipping the saints to do the work in ministry, what we discover is, oh, maybe we don't need to hire on an extra staff member. Maybe we don't need to hire uh, somebody to you know, lead, lead in worship on a Sunday morning because we're raising people who up. We're going to do it on a volunteer basis from within the congregation. The challenge of that is it is really hard at first to equip, and it's easier just to do it yourself. But that's only at first. In the long run, if you pay the, the cost up front of, of equipping the saints, in the long run, what you'll find is you can get more done with less money if everybody is pitching in. But they won't pitch in just simply because you do a general announcement or because you put it in the bulletin. You've got to develop relationships with people. You've got to walk through life and ministry with them. You've got to help them discover and utilize their gifts. You've got to do the hard work of equipping the saints and discipling the people. And again, that's harder work up front than just simply doing it yourself. But in the long term, you have a stronger church that can do more ministry on less money because you've got people who are stepping up to do it out of the church. All right. So we're talking to a, a pastor of a small church or maybe the people or the, the lay leader. And they say, yes, that's exactly right. That's us. That's what we want. But we don't know where to go. We don't know how to do this. You've already mentioned a couple of resources. You mentioned some books. And actually, this sounds a little strange, but I'm, I'm going to ask you for your own commercial here, for your own blog and your, your own resources. But d direct those who want this to where they can get help. Yeah, there are a couple of great places right now out there. Um, uh, Dave Jacobs runs a uh, Facebook page called Small Church Pastor, and it's a great place for pastors just to have conversations. And Dave really oversees it with a very strong hand so that it doesn't get into theological or political arguments. He just shuts it down. He says, we're here to encourage and resource and help each other. And that's all we're going to do. Uh, Dave also wrote a book recently um, and called Naked Men Running, 100 Great Ideas for a Small Church. And uh, you want to put Naked Man Running into Amazon, don't Google that. That's not a good thing to Google. He, he learned that after he titled it that, that maybe he should have come up with a different title. Cause, so go to Amazon and then put, one, then put Naked Man Running in there. And it's, it's, it's like, like, at a, like an encyclopedia way you can go in different subject matter and get practical ideas to help out with small churches. So I would start there. I think the 200, 200 Churches podcast is another great place. They are two small church pastors who... Uh, always are talking about, they call it 200 Churches Podcast because it's for churches of 200, give or take 200, which is how they put it. Um, so those are great resources as well. I mentioned earlier Lyle Shower's book, The Small Church is Different. It's several decades old now, but it's got some really, really helpful things in it. But I would start with those places as really good resources, uh, places where you can get some help with small church pastors. If we switch the topic from the pastor to the parishioner, or particularly the person who's looking for a church, maybe a believer that moved into a community or someone who <clears throat> wants to connect to a new congregation, are there certain demographics, certain types of people or families or whatever, who are more likely to be attracted, drawn to a small church? That's what they're looking for, rather than looking for a large church. I have a theory, and I, I think by something that Rick Warren said, I think he agrees with this theory. <laughs> that people are usually looking for a small church and they may go to a larger church by default. Uh, Rick says the only people who like big churches are pastors. That's his quote. 
Uh, I, I think that's, I think he would agree that's oversimplified. Um, but I think that most people are looking for a, uh, an environment of intimacy for worship. Uh, there are some who just want it big and that's great too. If, you, if, if that's what draws you into worship, fantastic. But I think most folks are looking for a smaller environment. And I think the new generations coming up are more likely to be attuned to that than previous generations. I think the previous generation, my parents and grandparents generation, that was the builder generation. They were laying the infrastructure of the entire nation and building large buildings. And that meant permanence to them and that meant stability to them. But I think the newer generations, they're not looking for big structures as much as they're looking for relationship. And so they're likely to seek out a smaller place. But here's the rub. They'll go to a small church, but they won't give up quality to do so, which means we have to do our ministry well. Now, the good news in that is that, a, is that quality looks different in a small church than in a big church. People don't walk into a small church and expect the band to be singing the song from their latest CD but they do expect to be greeted warmly. They expect to be remembered when they come back. They expect the place to be clean. They expect you to start on time. They expect people to care about it. They expect to be able to be involved in ministry, both inside and outside the walls of the church. Any church of any size can bring that kind of quality to bear. And when we do so, I think all ages will be attracted to that. But I do believe particularly the younger generations are going to find that. We've discovered that in our church. We have a much younger demographic than the average church in our neighborhood, big or small. And it's because we're leaning into those relationships and we're using the strength of the small church to do so. You've thought a lot and you've talked a lot and you've written a lot um, to encourage small church pastors. So um, you know, I called you an expert before you're an expert on a lot of topics. All right, let's imagine that you give a day long seminar and at the end you say, are there any questions? And Someone in the back raises a hand and says, okay, there's, there's one thing that you want to say to me. What is it? What would you tell them? Uh, five words. Your church is big enough. Uh, right now, your church is big enough right now to do what Jesus is calling your church to do right now. You don't need more people to do good ministry. You don't need more money to do good ministry. You don't need a bigger building or, or a building to do good ministry. Don't wait until you're bigger to do good ministry. I think there are far too many small church pastors out there who are kind of biding their time, waiting for growth to happen, and then we'll have something of value, and then we'll be able to do great ministry. You won't get there until you start doing ministry, really good ministry now. If you, if you take an unhealthy small church and you only make it bigger, then you only have a bigger unhealthy church. But if you take a, a, an unhealthy small church and you make it healthy, even if you don't get bigger, at least you got healthy. And that is a value to the kingdom of God. So your church is big enough right now to, to do what Jesus wants your church to do right now. That's really good. Okay, so let's now imagine that same seminar, same room, and a bunch of large church pastors are in there as well. And they're all sitting in the front two rows. And one of them raises a hand and says, okay, so I'm a pastor of a large church, over 250. What's the one thing you want to say to me? Well, first of all, I want to know where that seminar is that all the pastors are sitting in the front two rows. That'd be awesome. <laughs> um, but no, I, what I would say to them is um, please have conversations with a, the small church pastors in your local area. Don't think that the learning only goes one way. 
yes, we want to learn things from our big church counterparts. You are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all part of the same body. We want to work together. We want to learn from you. But don't think that the learning only flows one way. Sit down and have a conversation with a small church pastor. Remember what it was like to be small and struggling. Ask them what their needs are. Ask them what they can teach you that you might be able to learn from. And don't dismiss a church simply because it's small and struggling. It doesn't mean it's unhealthy. It doesn't mean it's sinful. It doesn't mean that it's broken any of the rules of church growth. Sometimes God just calls good people to small places and we need to support each other. So we love you. We want to learn from you. But we also think you might be able to learn a few things from us and we'd love to have that conversation. And one last question. What do you think is the future of small churches in America? More. (laughs) If you want to put it in a single word, more. Uh, Anytime you see the churches, uh, anytime you see Christians growing as a percentage of the population, it is almost always because of the planting of new churches and those churches tend to be small. So if we're going to move forward, if we're going to really impact the culture, it can't just be with the building of bigger churches, as wonderful as that is, it has to be with the planting of and the resourcing of current small churches. We need an explosion of small churches. We need more of them, not fewer. Our guest on today's conversation has been Carl Vader's pastor of Cornerstone Christian Fellowship. I'm Leith Anderson. On behalf of us all, very special thanks to Carl. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.